0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some well less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Hello again, and welcome to part two of My Time Capsule with Barry Cryer. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens. Normally, I'd be asking my guests to tell me the five things they'd want to preserve in a time capsule. I mean, that's the idea of the podcast, and usually it works rather well. But if you've heard part one of this podcast, which is not absolutely essential, I assure you, you'll know that Barry Cryer is a man with so many things in his life that asking him to limit it to five is a bit unfair. So it's fairly likely that it won't happen. Let's find out, shall we? Here is the rest of my conversation with the great Barry Cryer OBE, recorded in his local pub, full of his local locals. Look, perhaps just pour yourself a beer, pull up a chair and try not to make too much noise when you eat the crisps. I'm going to take you back to... you worked at the windmill. How did you start moving into writing for television and writing for other people? And, and... Well, I used to do bits and pieces... For friend. Anna Quayle, the actress had become a friend and uh, I wrote a couple of little sketches for a review at the Fortune Theatre Danny LaRue came in one night and said, who wrote that? Mm-hmm. Ted Dix the pianist and I Danny took us on to write his nightclub shows and then at Winston's Ted fell out over a bouncing check <laughs> <laughs> I stayed on there we go again. One night, Danny DeRue said, who wrote that? Yes. Then you're at Danny DeRue's legendary club in Hanover Square, David Frost, invites me and Ronnie Corbett to have a drink. Maybe that's why he came. As a result, Ronnie goes into the Frost Report and I become a Frost writer. Were you writing satirical jokes or were you just writing well, gags? no, I mean, the nightclub scene, Danny DeRue was no swearing. There was no, fuck, oh, no... Yeah. I created a character called Lady Cynthia Grope, a precursor of Margaret Thatcher, and Doug Fisher, who was in the show, or me, would interview Lady Cynthia. And we do lines like, let's talk about Edward Heath. And people do, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that is satire. What do you think of Michael Foote? A wild exaggeration. <laughs> this is the subtle stuff I was doing. And the people who came, Noel Coward used to come to the club. And we did a Noel Coward finale. And he sat at the front with his Marlboro, And he was just great. And he came into this shoebox dressing room that we all shared, bras and pants and yeah. Sat on the table with his legs dangling. He stayed over an hour. And who did the finale? I said uh, Bill Solly, a mate of mine, a bit brilliant. And then I thought, oh God, I'd forgotten at that moment. Noel Cowder had done a show called Ace of Clubs, and in a, in the show was a song with two juvenile delinquents, juvenile delinquents. Da da da, da, da. I ripped him off. Danny LaRue saying, We're two most successful call girls. We're the toast of all girls who were on the game. <laughs> Noah Coward said, Who wrote that opening number? And I said, I did. And he patted me on the head. He said, Nearly as good as mine. Oh, well, well that's quite isn't that something. isn't Good. It? That is great. And I would rip people off, Mike. And uh, Lionel Bart had done blitz. Yes. With the song "Who's This Giza Hitler?" When I look back, it's unbelievable. We were doing Anthony and Cleopatra at the club. Ronnie Corbett and Danny Lurie. Oh my God! And I wrote the song "Who's This Giza Caesar?" <laughs> Ripping off Lionel Bart. And one night I said, "Lionel's there," so, so I creep out in the dark for my ritual drink after show. Lionel Bart came over. Hello, Bell. Who's this Caesar, Caesar better than mine? Oh, that's brilliant. Isn't that good? They and just came to the club, had a laugh. Oh, he's ripping me off. Oh, this is funny. Did you Isn't ever go lovely? to one of Lionel famous parties? Because he used to throw extraordinary oh, yes, one parties. Oh, and there was white powder in bowls. Just and money. And money. He was the most successful writer, and he had to sell history. the rights of Oliver because he was in trouble to Matt Spygraves and his agent. And when Cameron Macintosh, to his eternal credit, revived Oliver, he didn't have to pay Lionel a penny, and he said, "I am paying it. The man wrote it." Yeah, that, that is Macintosh. That's, that's a good. fabulous thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. Stop the world, I want to get off. Um, what kind of fool am I? At the yes. song. And we did Hamlet. I played Hamlet and Dunny the Rue was a freak. (laughs) (laughs) And I say, what kind of fool am I stuck here in Elsinore? To be or not to be But I can't see what I'm living for <laughs> I'm just a mixed up kid A gloomy Dane No wonder that a Ophelia's going down the track <laughs> They say the world's a stage I must admit that right but she can't see with me. There'll never be an opening night. <laughs> I seem to fall in love with every other man. It's very plain to me what <laughs> kind Oh, that's brilliant. Tony Newley, fabulous, fabulous. show Years ago, a nice man came up to me with his mother. And I, oh, hello. And looking uninvaded. Hello, Barry. Tony Newley. <laughs> wow. He did a hell of a lot told me. Oh. Bill Cotton of the BBC told me once, he said, I was sitting in my office one day thinking, Dave Allen hasn't been on television much lately. What's happening there? I took Dave and his agent to lunch. And I came back to the office and said, we're doing six Dave Allens. And we did. He said, no, it'd be a, a month of the committee and no decision." Absolutely, so he, no. He said, I could... And in God, fact, you know that, I did, you suddenly made me realise where we first met... Uh, we met at the, in the bar at the comic strip, the, the club, with Dave Allen. You came with Dave Allen to see... Oh, my strip. God, and Aid Amerson and Rick Wakeman Rick, were on that Rick guy. Mayle, yeah. Rick Mayle? What yeah. did I say, then? Rick, Rick Wake- Wakeman. Rick <laughs> Mayle? Yeah. I was remembering this the other day, this is fantastic. You remember that? Me and Dave Allen went. To the you comic did. Strip, you did, and we met you afterwards. Which was the remember. Raymond review? Raymond bar. review, you met bar strippers upstairs. in the bar and everything. Yes. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. And Dave and I were just going, "What well, is this all about? Yeah, this is this great. Is, this is different." And I remember everybody at the time being really impressed that you were there. They were of the opinion that anybody from a slightly older generation of comics would not have any regard for what they were doing or would not be interested in But it was in. my writer self, really. I just went with the flow of what was happening. And I was the bridge generation, because I worked with Arthur Askey, Tommy Trinder. Wow. You know, Max Miller, for God's mm. sake. I worked with all those heavy... Ted Ray. Yes. Those heavyweights. And then suddenly the university crowd, Alan Bennett, and all those suddenly, sort of things. And then suddenly it was... Uh, Ben Elton shouting about Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. Just go with the flow. Arthur Askey said, every generation's the same. A load of crap and a few brilliant people. It's very true. There are brilliant people around today, but I miss silly. Humphrey Littleton, I've got the quote at home somewhere, never lose touch with silly. Mm. Eric and Ernie were two grown men being silly. Yes. Tommy Cook was a brilliant magician, being silly. Mm. Les Dawson at his best, utterly silly. But John Cleese who had become a bit of a star, was booked for one Les Dawson show and said, I want to do more. Him and Les Dawson hit it off immediately. John Cleese said to me, this wordsmith, he's brilliant. Smith, yes. Les Dawson's always summed up by, a, she had a face like a bag of spanners. <laughs> He was a brilliant comedian, though, Les Dawson. But, you know, I was saying about Jeremy Hardy singing badly, Les Dawson would play oh, the yeah. piano badly. Yeah. But he could only play in one key. <laughs> and he said, you've found me out. Humphrey Littleton had a big hit, Bad Penny Blues, piano, so we thought, it's got to be Les and Humph. Les couldn't handle it, and Humphrey, he was laughing, and Les said, can't handle it, Humph." So Laurie Holloway, the MD, played the piano for... Humph on that show, but Les, to his eternal credit, said, Let's do it in the show where I've failed trying to get it right for Humph. Wow. We wrote a sketch where he's fucking it up at the piano, and Humphrey Little go- and <laughs> that you know, it's, it's very funny you should mention Rick Wakeman in that. I know, that was and a mistakenly slip of the Rick, because Rick Wakeman does a brilliant thing where he plays. Nursery rhymes in the style of different classical composers, yes. but one of them is, is Twinkle Twinkle Little Star in the style of Les Dawson. <laughs> Richard go son, he does the same thing. It's and they funny. revived high society, and he did a sort of warm up thing at the piano, and you had to shout out things that we wanted him to play in the style. So I shouted out, My old man's a dustman that's got a cheap laugh. And he did a Bach version of My Old Man's Sir Dustman. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I rang Richard. I said, uh, I went to see how Society last night. He said before you start, Baz. He said Joe rang up and said. <laughs> Old Baz shouted, My old man's a dustman. Uh, Isn't that lovely? It's lovely. My little party piece, if i have ever asked this, My old man's a dustman was the tune of Heartbreaker Tell. <laughs> <That's laughs> is my, that your the, favourite one? That's my little party piece. Is that your song well, to a different tune? My old pitch. man's a dustman. He wears a dustman's hat. <laughs> ah, he wears oh. go blimey he trousers her, and he lives in a council. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very. Oh, we are going to put that in the time capsule. Those moments are the ones that you really remember from Clue. Those extraordinary moments where something comes together and you can't believe it, and comically... Last week, we did the Bristol Comedy Festival. Jack Dee couldn't do it because he was touring himself. Rob Bryden, who was brilliant, was our chairman. And we talked about Clue to the audience. And then we did one song to tune of another, and Rob Bryden sang Spider-Man to the tune of... What's the tune from Les Miz? Bring, bring Him Home. Bring Him Home. Oh, Spider-Man to the Never tune of I Bring Him Home. Spider-Man. Oh, that's marvelous he oh, That's got a great voice, is not it, Rob? Oh, Rob can do it. He's a lovely guy, Rob. People ask me now, what's your favourite comedy programme? And I say, would I lie to you, I said, because... The interplay between Lee Mack, yeah. Rob Bryden and David Mitchell and all the guests without exception on the show are having a great time reading. It. and it's utterly silly. If it's a repeat, I don't care. I think, okay. oh, I remember this one, I've got to watch it again. Lee, quickest brain yeah. ever, he said, up there beyond anybody. Lee Mack's reaction to anything that's said or done is so quick. Amazing, isn't it? lovely guy yes. and they did a stage show and they sat me in the front row and i love being feed i did straight man i've been a straight man and i said uh you three men are creative uh, comedians which i admire very much but i want to know your favorite jokes because <laughs> <laughs> you would have no problem with that i did talk to lee mack about this idea of doing this podcast just before I started doing it. But I said to him, so what would sort of thing would you put in a podcast? And he said, all right, so yeah, the first thing I put in is um, I'd like to go back to 1959, he said, when I was very, very young. And I had this brilliant idea for a podcast where you put things in a time capsule. He said, because I'll go back there and that proves that I own the rights to this and therefore I'll get the money. I went, you bust!" He said, that's the sort of thing I'd put in. So you see, immediately... That's how fast he was. Immediately. He went range. on to the idea immediately. But am I helping you at all today? Have you got anything from me? I've got loads from you. You need five, really, on the... Yeah, but I think if you say a moment from Clue that for you sums it up, because you've done all the stage shows... Oh, the first time Jeremy Hardy sang on Clue, the audience couldn't believe what they were hearing. We knew, but... No, I'll never forget that. Yeah. We were all doing, showing off, doing one song to two another or something... And he started, and the stunned reaction of the audience. Never forget (laughs) that. They started laughing later, but it took them a while, and then it became a convention that he's a bad singer. Because originally it would have been thought, am I being impolite? Does he think he can sing? That's right. But then you realise, no, he knows he can't. And the wonderful thing is, he then had the bravery to say, well, I can't sing at all, and I sing out of tune, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, but he had the instinct that... When, when I'm in with this, this will be funny. Yes. They'll know, oh, it's about singing singer now. So if that's good for you, then I think we should oh, yeah. put that moment in there. So that's what have it. you got from me so far? I've got your dad playing with you with a little play lead toy. Uh, yeah. the... we have also got the man coming to you at the stage door at... Uh... Oh, yes. You see oh, that? That's a see that it's a thing that then opens everything else up to you. Yes. Yeah. Those are the things I'm looking for. And now we've got Jeremy Hardy singing for the very first time and singing incredibly badly, and the reaction of the audience. It's a big part of you, Barry, I think, that ability you have to just keep moving on. I'm a creature of the moment. What's happening today? Yeah. David Suchet and I sat at an only lunch once, and we sat and talked and laughed. And David Suchet said to me, this is what it's all about. And I said, what are you talking about, David? He said, you and me laughing and talking, he said, we could go out of here now and be run over by a bus. He said, it's now. Oh, here's a moment, and that very day. And, of course, the audience are going, oh, it's David Suchet. And he said to the audience, people ask me about the walk I do. The walk I do is... uh, Pharaoh, would you excuse me? And he went and walked all the way round to the other side of the room so everybody could see him. Yes. And he did the walk. And it was sort of amused applause. He said... I must tell you the secret. Five P up the arse. (laughs) Oh, Arby Finney was a mate. I mean, talk about miscasting Poirot. He got too much hair and he was too young, and he did Murder on the Orient Express. Mm. But it's wonderfully entertaining. I think he knew he was... This is a joke, me as Poirot, but... Oh, come on, it's very good. I never stopped the connections... Pete Postlethwaite told me they were doing Macbeth in Newcastle with Bob Peck, his mate, playing the lead. And Pete said, one night, Bob's really giving it to the audience, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And he paused, and the voice from the audience said, Well, that'll be Friday, then. (laughs) Pete said, how oh, you keep a straight oh face, he said it was wonderful. That'd be Friday. That'd it? Be that Friday wonderful. Then. I do love that humour from that area. I once went up to Newcastle. I'd only been there about ten minutes, and I rang a friend and said, Where are you? He said, We're down by the docks. I said, Oh, I'll come down and meet you. So I put my coat on from the hotel room and I started walking down towards the docks. And I'm sure it's because I had a coat on, but a car drove past me, and as they drove past, the boat wound down the window and he said, Fuck off all me, you southern bastard. <laughs> He knew. It's a regional thing. Humour was so regional that the great Scots comedians who were stars didn't come to England much, you know. And I'm honorary Scott because two of the men I first worked for wrote for Stanley Baxter and Jimmy Logan. Stanley and I are still in touch on the phone Damn. to this day. Not he was brilliant. Graham Gardner and I were Hamish we and Dougal on the radio. No, yeah. Graham's got Scottish blood, I've got nothing, I'm a fraud. <laughs> but uh, Stanley was amused. Another age, but Stanley... Well, Stanley wasn't a comedian, he was a brilliant comic actor. Yes. And we, we did a thing at the end of every show. Why didn't they just record it and pop it in the edit? They asked him to do it every show. Sit on the stool, sink. No, do "Well, this is me, bye." Uh, and he hated. Me. Yes. Who wants to see me, Ronnie Barker? The same. Who wants to see me? I'm boring. Ronnie is the reason I live here. Ronnie and Joy Barker lived in Pinner. Oh right. And we were house hunting. We were in Maida Vale and getting nowhere. And Ronnie had us up for dinner one night and drove me round the sales. And I met a man the next day, and I'm sitting with this musician up the road who's desperate to sell, and I thought, I've never bought a house, what do you do? I'm serious. You haggle. So I beat him down from 11,000 to (laughs) 10,400. 1967. And he's still there, same place. Well, we have downsized, moving a flat now, but nearer the pub. And it was Ronnie Barker. But Ronnie said to me, who wants to see me? He was so well known, obviously living in Pinot. and whenever he was asked to open a fade or something he would say, "Oh I'm sorry I." And he'd always send a check or a lovely message and they liked him. But then there was a big Kodak thing up here which was all gone, massive Kodak thing mm. and well, he barker. For once he's doing it, so I thought, right, game on. So we went. he's sitting at a table signing autographs. I got a bit of paper and I really, I think even on the floor, I dirtied up this bit of paper and I put my glasses on and I shuffled up to the table and I said, Could you put some marjorie, please? <laughs> and I looked at a bit of paper it said, Piss off, cry, I'm busy. <laughs> Brilliant. The players years ago... We were doing a big charity night for the players, a Sunday night. Mm. And uh, whoever was the top had dropped out. I said, Baz, you know Ronnie Barker? So I rang Ronnie, I said, I told him what happened. He said, what would I do? And I said, what well, do you You used to do that monologue, Dangerous Dan McGrew and all that. OK, Baz, tell him I'll do it. We've got Ronnie Barker. And there was a little guy called Arthur, a man from London Weekend, a dresser. I said... Arthur, what are you doing here? Oh, Ronnie wanted me here. So anyway, on the night, Ronnie Barker, enormous applause, came on, hair parted in the middle and a moustache. And he went bloody well, obviously. And I was with him afterwards. I said, what's with the moustache? It's not me, then. Uh-huh. I can smell the spirit gum, he said. He needed to be someone else in order yes, to it's perform. A, isn't that fascinating? It is fascinating. Yes. I'm boring. Who will to see me? No. Dear Sheila Steeford, Sheila said to me, How do I play me? Uh, can I buy to, you a drink? No, no, I'm going to buy you another one. Come on, I, you're, you're doing you're this for me. bloody I'm rude, I'm no, no, deeply no, I'm offended. Rude. Good, I'm glad. When another you, half, though, be okay, fair. No, I know, it's the best way. You drink halves, and then you can drink as many as you like. <laughs> I'll get you another half. Okay, while I get the beers in, let's take a short break and hope that the powers that be will fill it with some ads to help pay for the making of this podcast and for the beer. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Right, welcome back. There's your pint. That'll be £5.50, please. Yet this puppy's in London, you know. Let's find out what other anecdotes Barry Cryer would like to treat us to. Nigel Hawthorne. Nigel Hawthorne, yeah. Told me, Alan Bennett, who's eternal credit, said you're not doing the film without him, you know, who's the original, and he then, fought them off, Alan, which is marvellous. Nigel, did. was he Oscar nominated or something? Yeah, Madness of George III. That's right. Wasn't called The Madness of George Third in America. You know, they thought it was a sequel. George Three. <laughs> I didn't see and, the other two. Nigel told me, he picked the names up as i dropped him. He said, I'm interviewed in America, and I'm thinking, oh, this is great, I don't think. And he said, I happen to casually say to interview. my partner Trevor. And he said, you look back, in the papers on television, Nigel Hawthorne's gay. Because yeah. he happened to say the words, my, my partner Trevor. Mm. And he said, everybody knows us where we live. We have a, we're just friends of the locals, and we, Oh, he said, I'm famous, we opened the local fete He said, it's lovely. But he said, different world over there. I happen to say my partner Trevor on television. Horrifying. Wow. Here's a moment where everything could have been different. I'd met my darling, I told you, the same day I met Ronnie Corbett. Yeah. We were now, uh, oh, it's so quaint now. We were now courting and we were looking after dogs and we were in Hyde Park with five dogs. And I thought, ooh, her. And I said to her, we're in Hyde Park, I said, I don't know what you think, I think we ought to get married. And she said, that is a very big question, I'll tell you tomorrow. (laughs) So we're out the next day with the dogs, and she said, the answer to your question is yes. Ah. And I said, what question? That's a oh. moment. Could all have gone wrong? Yes. You know, I'd joke and say she threw a dog at me. And how many years is it now that you've been together? Fifty-eight. Fifty-eight years. That's when it could have all gone wrong. She was amused. Bless her. There's a moment in my life that could put, all have gone wrong. Let's take that moment and let's lock it away. If I had married her, it, all this wouldn't have happened. Man, no. she's the best thing that happened to me because the result was our family. Yes. Yes. And it's extraordinary, isn't it, fifty eight years? It's a number we can't believe it. Our no, I know, it doesn't feel nothing ever feels like that, does it? But somebody said something to me recently, and I said, oh, God, that must be 10, 15 years ago. Wow. He said 1973. There you are. Where do the years go? They shouldn't you now. I know. The year was an eternity when you were young. You I know. don't know whether that's because everything was new to you. Every, yes. every experience was new, so yeah. you, everything meant something. You are embracing to... the new when you were young. And then as time goes on, you've done lots of things, oh, and so you, in a way you don't... Lock them in your brain. And yeah, so the time and then when you seems get, oh, to go. You hate change. <laughs> it's like when I watch television. Now I think, no, a television set. You went one, yeah. two, three. I tried to explain to my mother-in-law that she can watch television at any time she chooses. She doesn't have to be a slave to it. And um, she says, I like being a slave to it. I like knowing that at 8 o'clock I'm going to watch this programme. I look forward to it. The days when you sat around as a family and watched television, you couldn't record it. You had to watch it when it went out. And not only that, you were aware that everybody else was doing it as well. And you talked about it the next day. And then, of course, Netflix... Yes. It's a different world. And you can watch streaming exactly. is the word now, isn't it? Streaming, streaming, streaming. But I have that all the time. I mean, an episode in the second series of The Crown, and regularly friends drop me little messages saying, "Sorry, in The Crown the other yes. night." So in fact, my experience of doing a television appearance or a performance in a show, which normally would end with twenty people getting in touch with you saying, "Saw that, that was good," the next day. Now, has been stretched over three years, you know. I always look back on moments. Last I was at Denville Hall, somebody said to me as I was walking along, how long have you been in here? <laughs> I said, about 20 minutes. <laughs> Kenny Everett, one of the happiest times of my life. He wasn't a comic, he was Kenny Everett. And Ray Cameron, Mike McIntyre's father. Really? We wrote, initially, the Kenny Everett shows. I knew Mike McIntyre when he was a little boy. And when I had my fall, Mike McIntyre came to St Mary's Paddington to see me. And he didn't make an entrance at all. He had glasses and a hat on. And he came in very quietly into this room. "Bass, how are you? And he brought me a present. And we chatted. And then he left. And two of the nurses went, Mike McIntyre didn't come in. Look who's here. You and I know the cliche. He saves it for when he's on. Yeah. And he's normal and quiet and Absolutely. lovely. Very sweet man. Oh, he's a good man. Well, he's loved by many people on stage, so I mean I think it's that thing that he <coughs> he seems to be enjoying life so much. Yes. Oh, he's bullion and jolly and he cheers people up. That's good. Yeah. But Paul Gambaccini, here we go, are you keeping up? <laughs> I'm staying, I'm with you now. said to me, he wrote a book about it, and he said if dear Kenny Everett had lived another year, he'd be still with us. He really? said, Ed died when HIV AIDS was the killer. Just, and then medicine reading. improved and they couldn't solve oh. it. It wasn't a killer anymore. He said, Ed would still be with us. How terrible, how sad. But that was a happy period, I mean i never. And you did the Kenny Everett Show for years. I'd never worked with someone like Ev. I'd worked with comics. Ev was a one off. He was wonderful. He was this brilliant DJ on the radio. Okay. Brilliant DJ. He had one or two. Completely unique. One thing. or two uh, flirtations with telly. He did Nice Time, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Then he had a time he didn't enjoy, London Weekend. And then they rang me up because I did a show called Joker's Wild. A woman called Angela Bond said, uh, come and have lunch with Kenny Everett. And I met Kenny Everett, and it didn't happen. We are going to do something on the radio or something. Mm. And then Philip Jones, the boss of the Thames Television, he said to his son once, who's not on television, you think? She'll be on now. His son was about 18. And his son said, Kenny Everett. Uh... Philip Jones, to his eternal credit, and I'd been around, I was invited to have lunch with Kenny Everett... And I suggested Ray Cameron, who I'd worked with, Yorkshire Television on Jokers Wild. I think he would be good. Ray Cameron was signed up, and he and I did the Kenny Everett show. And Everett was just a joy. You just give him an idea and he ran with it. Yeah, no, he was a comic genius. It was the only show I worked on where there were blank pages in the script. (laughs) (laughs) We'd just have an idea. The crews fought to get on it, they loved him. And he did this one once. We had a gospel singer with a gospel backing and his polystyrene hands and everything. (laughs) Mm. And he came towards the camera. It was his head. The happy times at 10 Celebration. no audience, closed studio, just you and the crew, and we never told anybody to be quiet. If you heard laughing, it was the crew. It was yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah. So he comes towards the camera, took his hands off, and he got hold of the autocube and he turned the man's camera, and you saw a dusty floor and a coffee cup and somebody running out of shot. And they said, ooh, the glamour of it all! <laughs> and they loved him, and it was a very happy time. Then we went to BBC, and, of course... I tried to turn him into a BBC comedian. Mm. You rehearse all week, audience in on Friday. Yes. Ooh, ooh, they're coming, you say. And he became brilliant with the studio audience. They loved it. And one day we were pre-recording something. I said, Ev, do the, ooh, the glamour of it all. This is the BBC. So we did this number and he suddenly came to the camera as before. Woohoo, the glamour of it all. And Bill Wilson, the producer, came down for the gallery and said, That was very funny. Yes. Can we do it again? There was a bit of a shadow. I said we do tacky Bill. Stop it. Royston Mayo, Roy Mayo joined us. But then we found Dear Roy was leaking upstairs to Philip Jones what we were up to in the studio. And Everett had a character called Sid Snot. Yes, I remember it well. So we were going to do the Snots. <laughs> and, oh Down the Doors was interested at one point, couldn't do it. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. And it was not rude or anything. It had double entendres and everything, but Roy Mayo told Philip Jones about it. They're doing this very rude sitcom idea and everything. So Ev and Ray Cameron and I arrived, the studio's deserted. What's up, man? we met the tea lady and with our trolley and we had a cup of tea. And oh, Everett said, we're going to see Philip. And uh, we went up to Philip's office and there was Roy Mayo sitting. And uh, Everett said, what's happening, Philip? Philip Jones said, oh, come on. Come on, boys, we'll have lunch in a minute. No, I can't work with this man, Philip. Oh, and Jim Moyer and everyone to this day, lives down the road, heard about this BBC and he rang me up. How's it going at Thames, Bath? Do you and Ev and Ray want to come and have a little at Klaus or something, and we went to see him at the BBC, and that was what it was all about. We yeah. left Thames. The BBC poached Everett from Thames. Men behaving badly is a famous example That's of... That's right, horses. and Eddie Raven, great man, he couldn't join us. When Eric and Ernie went to Thames, John Junkin and I went with them, but Eddie was still locked into the B. Mm. And I used to annoy Junkin. I called Eddie the Eighty. And I said, he turned them into Eric and Ernie, Johnny, bloody brilliant. Jenkins and I wrote Christmas shows and everything. Very proud of that. Yes, I would. And we wrote some good stuff down at Thames. And then Eddie came and joined us. Oh, we finally did a Christmas show at Thames. Almost totally suggested by Eric Morecambe. It's never happened before. Idea, 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 idea. And it was all right, but it wasn't great. And John and I took Eric and Ernie to lunch at Berries in Regent Street. And they were intrigued. We all knew each other. We were friends. But two writers had taken us to lunch. And we had a good time laughing and talking. And Eric and Ernie are thinking, what's this all about? And Junk and I are looking at each other. And I thought, OK, we're in. I said, Eric, uh, Christmas show. Yes. I said, not one of your best. John and I tied the flat because we wrote it. Yeah. You're Eric and Ernie. And I only looked up and said, do you mean we can be as bad as we'd like? <laughs> and we laughed and we laughed. John and I left. But Eddie Braben had heard that I'd called him the eighty, and i never met the man. And one day, we're in a bar and Braben's there and he came over and grabbed hold of me and pointed at me in front of people and said, famous Morecambe and Wise <laughs> Eddie and I became friends. Oh, lovely. Yeah, and Junkin and I fell out and became estranged, which was sad. No, that is sad. And then he would cut me dead. My old friend would cut me dead at a do, Junkin. Wow. We yeah. worked together a lot. It broke my heart when I happened. Most of your career and most of your life, you look back at it. I look at these things and you think so many. nearly all of it was extraordinary fun. And you were really lucky to be there. And having a great time, but now and again, there were... Just little moments where you think, oh, why did that happen? Me and Junkin, I never forgot that. I'm often accused of liking everybody or pretending to, and I say, I only tend to talk about people I like. I tend to forget the names of people I don't like. I just let it go. Anyway, Saturday Live, the radio programme, Reverend Richard Cole... But live radio loose ends used to be live with Ned mm. Sherry yes, and I did it quite a lot Saturday morning live, Elaine stretches was on it and she told an anecdote and she finished the anecdote and said, so I said to him what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> and she said, sorry Ned could I do that again he said, this is live, darling. She said, oh, shit! <laughs> brilliant! Brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Niall Buggy, the, he and I sat together on loose ends, and Ned was brilliant. Live, we're coming to the end of the programme, but he's under-running by about two minutes. <laughs> and Ned said, oh, I've just looked at the clock, we've got two minutes. Joke from Barry Cryer... <laughs> <laughs> and God knows what I thought of, but great days. Brilliant. I love live. I like being on the stage, and something goes wrong. You've got to react to the audience. Yes. Well, I'm going to have to go home now, Barry. I'm afraid. Well, thank you for a wonderful time. I thank you for talking to you something You've given me more than something. It's been fantastic talking to you. Oh, I just pour it out. The only talent I've ever got is connections. One yeah. thing reminds me of another. That's what helped me through the years. I never wrote alone, hardly ever. The talent, if there was a talent, somebody would say something. I'd say, oh, yeah, that reminds you of... Da, 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 ..and you start building up a chain. Yes. Richard Curtis says that that was exactly the case with Ben Albrecht. Oh, Ben. Oh, boy, that was brilliant. Oh, and then he became unfashionable. He collaborated on the musical, did Ben? And then he he's done Upstart Row, which I think... Fabulous. The idea that Shakespeare's family didn't reckon him—no, brilliant. As you like it. Well, no, I don't, I don't like no. it. Are they, are they twins or what? <laughs> brilliant. Oh, Ben's brilliant and a really sweet he man. He did I have to say. Um, the Ronnie Barker lecture at the BBC Studio Theatre, did brilliant. he? And it wasn't about Ronnie Barker; it was in his name. And Ben was brilliant talking about all the years he'd been at it, and he said. Somebody said to me the other day about the young comedians, oh, they're trying to be funny. And Ben Alton said, what's wrong with trying to be funny? And we clapped. Quite. Bob Hope told me, pick it up with a side. Bob Hope told you? He used to say, I want to tell you. He used to say it after a line well, if it didn't get a laugh. I want to tell you that, that uh, and they, maybe they didn't notice it didn't get a laugh. Yeah, 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 as if it was one story. Arthur Askey, well, I never stop. <laughs> Arthur told me, he said, you do a joke that doesn't work. And he said, I used to go, and, and carry good. on to the next line. And he said, And the audience would think, oh, I missed something when he did that. There are a lot of comics who follow every punchline with, uh, as if they're going to go on. Yes. I sat talking to Bob Hope. He was doing the Parkinson show, and he'd never met Parky. And John Junkin and I had written in his thousandth version of Thanks for the Memory, wow. the topical stuff in. And John couldn't be there. I can't believe it. I'm sitting with Bob. Oh, what's this guy Parkinson like? I said, uh, he'll interview you from a kneeling position. And he <laughs> laughed. <laughs> and then we started chatting. He didn't feel threatened by me. This is young guy. He's not a journalist. Uh, young ones hate me back home. I said, what are you talking about? That man had risked his life entertaining troops in the Second World War and gone on from there. And he said... I wasn't supporting the government and the war. I was trying to make guys laugh who were gonna be killed next day. Yeah. And he said, after Iraq, uh, presidents, man, he said, They've got me the young generation. They oh, they, they hated him for his politics, as yes. they thought. Yeah. Yes. And he said, I did my best. I was just entertaining the guys. He said, I've known a lot of presidents. Oh, and I said to him at one point. You're Bob Hope? He said, yeah, world-famous comedian, he said. I don't make him laugh in the first two or three minutes. He'll say, oh, that's the great Bob Hope, is it? <laughs> Still not complacent. No. I admired that. Yes. may maybe Bob Hope. Got to make them laugh. The moment you assume that everybody's going to laugh anyway because of who you are, yeah, then you're dead. But the, the great ones I worked with, they'd made it after all the years of apprenticeship and everything. The ones you had to worry about were the ones in the middle who thought they should have made it and that was... And they were bitter, furious. But some of these great... Eric Morecambe was just lovely, just walking about in the wings, twirling with his handkerchief. Oh, we've got to follow the last Christmas show. We can't assume this is Tommy Cooper. we all the props on the table in the right place. Mm. I love that story of Tommy Cooper. You can tell me if it's true or not, but that he always had a tea bag in his top pocket. Oh, yes, yeah. That is true. It's actually driver's. Yeah. But it was Tommy Cooper. They loved it. They it's laughed. Hot. It's a brilliant joke, isn't it? It's a brilliant you joke. Put you just that in your pocket. Have just a drink a, with me. Have a drink. <laughs> oh, and I work with a great Jack Benny, one of my idols. Oh my God. And a taxi driver told me what a lovely man. And he was. He played a mean, conceited coward and a lovely guy. We in 70s knew everybody's name the first day. Jack Benny would come in the room and beam and say, Hello, Barry. and He, That's he was lovely. Jack Benny told me, he said one night, the famous violin. He said, I'm doing a television. He said, it really happened. I'm in front of the audience, the violin, and I've left the bow in the dressing room. And the audience laughed like, ha, ha, Then, So he said, I was chatting afterwards, and the cameraman said, you ought to do that, Jack. It's funny. He said, no, it's too obvious, forget it. He said, then the director said, that was funny, Jack. And he said, no, I don't think so. He said, and then I went home and thought about it. I've been doing it ever since <laughs> What a lovely guy was Everybody knew that he was going to play that violin Yeah but Even though he pretended to a number of times They knew he was never going to do it So to admit that by saying Well actually I even forgot to bring the bow out Yes There's a, a clip I've got it at home somewhere No jokes, just brilliant. Mean, conceited coward, embarrassment, Jones. And this sketch, The Jack Benny Show, Hmm. starts with him alone in a restaurant reading a menu. No rubbish for the guests. James Stewart and his wife walk on. Enormous applause, of course. James Stewart's first line, Oh, no, it's Benny! And they hide behind their menus. Somebody asked James Stewart for his autograph. Jack hears the word autograph. Stands up, comes face to face with James Stewart. Wonderful moment. And, uh, 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 hello, Jack. Uh, this is my wife, Gloria. Hello, Gloria. And James Stewart's floundering. What am what I going to say now? And he says, "Are you uh, uh, are you missing television, Jack?" On the show, I'm on every Wednesday night. Wow, wow, wow! Well, we're sort of out every Wednesday night. How can you be out every Wednesday night? James Stewart's wife said, it's not easy. <laughs> That's brilliant. No jokes, isn't it? Brilliant. And to give her the, her her the, her the tagline. Give her the best He line. loved people getting the tagline, because mm. he'd get it from the rear. It absolutely, it's the way he'd look at it. And them. he had a black sidekick, Rochester, uh, in those days. Yes. Yeah, it was quite... always topping him with the line and everything. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he was a marvellous man. He was Jack a great Benny. comic, wasn't he, Jack Benny? Oh, God. Anybody who doesn't know him, it's well worth looking him up. He was lovely. But when you got to know the man, everybody liked him immediately. He's was modest. Always talking about other people. I think that if you see someone who's terrifying as an actor and you think, what a horrible person they're playing, they will be the nicest people. That's right. Do you want my action story? Yes, please. I was with Ross Abbott, I think, at the time or something. And not much happening in the afternoon. And Jimmy Perry, an old friend, said, Baz, what are you doing? I said, not a lot. He said, it's the last dance army today. And he said, you know them all. Pop in. And my timing, I couldn't believe it. It was the tea break or something. And I walked in. Hello, hello. No, Arthur Lowe came over to me. Hello, Barry. Oh, boy. Sad day, isn't it, really? It's an institution, this show, a tradition. I said... Alty, you've had a bloody good run with it. I know, I know, but it's... go oh, forgive me if it's... And he walked away, and John Laurie came over to me. He said, what's the old cunt been saying to you? <laughs> 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 Come on, I've got to go. My wife wants me to go well, shopping. Just go, on, go oh, on, i I've had enough. You have been listening to part two of My Time Capsule... With Barry Cryer, while I, Mike Fenton Stevens, had the privilege of listening and sharing it with you. If you liked it, then please subscribe to this podcast on Acast, or wherever you usually get your podcasts, for all other episodes where you'll hear me talk to people about things they would put in a time capsule. Yeah, that's quite interesting, actually. You can follow me or my time capsule on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can download the theme tune written by Pass the Peas Music on Spotify. This podcast was produced by John Fenton Stevens and is a cast off production. So, till next time, bring me sunshine in your smile. Bring me laughter all the while. In this world where we live, there should be more happiness. So much joy you can give to each brand new bright tomorrow. Make me happy through the years. Never bring me any tears. Let your arms be as warm as the sun from up above. Bring me fun. Bring me sunshine. Bring me a cup of tea, will you? Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.